0: Web 3 With Me is a discussion style podcast about the ins and outs of Web 3.0, hosted by Zach French, known as Off Edge in the verse. From crypto to NFTs, DAOs to DeFi, we cover the abstract philosophical promises and the new business models enabled in this new decentralized world. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or watch the show on YouTube. Thanks and enjoy.
1: Zach French is a bar-certified attorney and nothing expressed by Zach during Web3 with me shall be considered legal advice. All the opinions expressed by Zach and his guests are solely their own opinions. All content in Web3 with me is for informational purposes only. Zach and his podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed during Web3 with me.
0: Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for being listeners of Web3 with me. I want to take a few seconds to tell you about my exciting new B2B offering. It is the mission here to educate. I sincerely believe Web3 can make the world better for more people. Businesses shouldn't be left out, though, so I've launched The Web3 Coach. It's a bespoke education experience designed to help your team understand how Web3 affects your particular industry or company and identify opportunities unique to Web3. Whether you have a law or accounting firm with a growing number of clients participating in Web3 through crypto and NFTs, or you're a real estate syndicate looking for different ways to raise money, or teams just of fast growing Web3 companies who wanna understand your customers and your new teammates, I make sure you can talk the talk and leave feeling more confident about this crazy new world. Please take a minute to check out my website at theweb3coach.xyz. Thanks so much and enjoy the show. My guest today is Robbie Heger, the president and CEO of endowment.org, the first on-chain 501c3 public charity established with the mission of managing and encouraging the charitable contributions of digital assets. Federally tax-exempt under IRS code 501C3, endowment is built to facilitate tax-deductible donations of more than 1,000 cryptocurrencies to any nonprofit in the United States, providing philanthropic financial services to the blockchain community and introducing nonprofit organizations to the benefit of blockchain technology. Donors can give through endowment using its donor-advised funds, community funds, and direct donations, all of which charge industry-low fees to maximize throughput to recipient organizations. For more information on how to give and receive donations via endowment, as well as details on its ongoing efforts to become a DAO, visit www.endaoment.org. LFG, baby. Let's start vibing. Robbie, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, this is super awesome. I've been very excited about this conversation. Uh, I me was talking too. with some friends about uh, the the impact of of Web three and nonprofits, uh, and I think your company endowment is one that comes up most often. So um, this should be an interesting conversation.
1: Well, we certainly appreciate the uh, the earned media. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, cool! please
1: please continue talking to your friends about endowment somebody texted me this week that they were at the friends with benefits festival and that somebody had mentioned endowment on stage and i was i i'm still just shocked that people think this is cool and that they want to talk to their friends about it um so you know we we certainly appreciate the uh, free advertising and and the love and the the passion and support from our community it's it's really great
0: yeah, it is. I mean, look, you're 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 doing the good, the socially conscious, the good stuff, right? Like, I mean, it's it's easy to rally around somebody with like sure. kind of pure-hearted cause, and I totally am one hundred percent behind it myself. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm just look. I think during this episode, if we could take the time to let the audience understand the intricacies of what you are doing, but also how they can participate, I think yeah. it's super valuable. Um, cause I think, you know, there's, there's an understanding from the people I've talked to of like, okay, they're enabling, you know, nonprofits and impact investing and stuff like that, but like exactly how to do it. You know, I think we could definitely enlighten a few people because the more participants you have, uh, it seems like you have a lot of channels for them to kind of get in there and help you guys out. So.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So- and, and I think, you know, just to your point here, like having a just cause is a huge superpower when starting a business and when starting any project, like it's just so critical to know why you're doing what you're doing and to know what it is that you're doing in the first place. And so for us to have this clear, clear mission of, you know, encourage and manage the charitable giving of digital assets, period. Right. Like that's such a, broad landscape to play with but also a very very specific motivation for everything that we do and i think especially when the market's you know tanking and and you know the the bear is upon us and and it can be really kind of sad to open up your computer every day and just be like, man, you know, like my investments aren't doing well, or this industry is being brought into question about whether it should exist or not. Endowment is this gravitational force for why crypto should exist. And the number always goes up because we're only ever counting the donations that people make and it only ever, you can't take away a charitable donation. And so I think like there's this very calming reality about the work that we're doing where it doesn't so much matter what the market is doing. And and we can talk a little bit about what that looks like from like a statistics perspective, like yeah. we raised, you know, we've raised $5 million already in August. It's-, it's <laughs> That's awesome, man. <laughs> we raised, we raised $200,000 or something like that in August of last year, right? Like bear market be damned, like people, people wanna make an impact with this capital that they've, that they've got. And oftentimes they've had it for a long time, you know, their early entrance they've held this crypto for years and they bought it at cents, and now they're taking it and they're like, okay, I know I have a tax obligation and I wanna offset it. And how can I do that in a way that's crypto native? How can I do that in a way that's tax smart? How can I do that in a way that helps bring nonprofits into the new technology space without scaring them away, without them being 10 years late to the party? And, and I really think all of those things is are, are are the main motivations for us in building endowment. And and the success that we're seeing is a result of really taking the time at the front end to come up with clear answers to what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And what are the things that we're not willing to compromise on in pursuing that goal. And and, and it's it's been really cool to like, you know, we're two years into this journey now at this point. And the first two years were not exactly like hit the ground fast paced, like some of these other DeFi protocols or some of these other, you know, NFT platforms. It, it's it's kind of, you know, many years to make an overnight success. And and so you spend a lot of time worrying about the the setup right? Like, like the getting the legal entities sorted out, right? Getting the technology built in a way where it's going to build that flywheel and that we're going to see the sort of reverberation and community participation that results in a vibrant, well-resourced, you know, fully functional, competitive community foundation built specifically for the crypto industry and we're just starting to get to that point you know like we're just starting to get to the full-throated vision of what endowment should be now two years in but because we have those strong values in that like you know set induction of what this should look like from the very beginning we're, we're sort of reaping the dividends of that now later on in 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 our sort of startup journey. And um, yeah, just like, can't wait for what's to come for endowment. And like, we're just going to keep doubling down on these values and on this, you know, what and why we're doing
0: yeah it helps a lot to have that clear vision as you're as you're going to execute. Totally. I want to dig into that a little bit. What you know starting from the beginning, what was kind of your where were you? What was your inflection point when you decided, hey, I need to build mm-hmm. endowment?
1: Yeah, I had been crypto curious for several years before starting endowment. I had been doing what most people do in crypto, which is like taking a small amount of money that they're willing to lose. <laughs> <laughs> and putting it into the market, you know, <laughs> YOLOing into the market. I, I, I originally got into crypto because I was working in the media industry. I was working in the digital media industry and was, was very curious about digital rights management, copyright protections, you know, digital scarcity, um, smart contracts, and their ability to facilitate, you know, censorship resistant media networks. And we certainly have seen plenty of companies come out in that space, whether that's NFT platforms or things like Live Peer or Filecoin-based storage, you know, SIA based storage. Um where but it, it was too early for that kind of like consumer application level when I started getting into the mix, which was like 2014, oh, 2015. Geez. And then the bull market of 2017, 2018 happened. And I was looking for my next challenge. I was, was at a big Fang tech job, and I was doing like operational work, kind of product development, product management, and operations work at at um, at Apple at the time. And I had gotten used to giving stock away to charity because I because Apple at the time was performing really well, and and so I had all this like low cost basis, high capital gain appreciated stock and I learned through like financial advisors and through, you know, like my, my friends and family who had had donor advised funds, that donor advised funds were a thing that they existed, that you could give the appreciated asset without selling it first. And then the charity that you give it to liquidates that asset and then takes that cash, puts it into this account called a donor advised fund. And then you get to use their portal to be able to select nonprofits that you make recommendations about where that money gets distributed to. And
0: And meanwhile, the nonprofits also are tax exempt. So when they liquidate it, they're not paying taxes on it.
1: Right, right. So you get get 100% of the value of the donation as a deduction as a tax credit and you get 100% of the value of the donation to be distributed to the end organization right like in contrast if i were to take you know my apple stock or you know in the case of crypto my 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 ethereum or my link or my you know um bitcoin or Filecoin, Litecoin, Ripple, what what have you, right? If I were to try and give that to an organization, either the organization has to accept that crypto already, which is like few and far between, um, or and or you have to sell it for cash. And then you incur the gain And now you owe tax on the gain. So you only have like 70% of what you sold left to give. And then you only get 70% of what you were gonna give as the tax deduction. So like donor advice funds are the fastest growing philanthropic vehicle in the country. They they custodian like over $170 billion in assets. And people who have large capital gains tend to offset them with donating into a donor advised fund. Because what it allows you to do is to give the appreciated asset, get the, a deduction for the full value of the asset, wipe out your capital gain expectation, you, you know, like, like a commitment for that asset that you've donated. And now you have 100% of the value of what you donated available to give to any nonprofit in a nonprofit to nonprofit transaction, right? Because when you give it to a donor advised fund, you're giving it to a nonprofit. They give you the tax receipt. And then you use their portal to go in and say like, okay, I want to give this to UNICEF. I want to give this to United Way. I want to give this to, you know, the Diane Fossey guerrilla federation, you know, and, and you get to pick what you want to give to over time. And, and, and in most donor advised funds, you can even invest the assets in the donor advised fund in a series of like pre-approved investment opportunities. And you can watch that capital grow as well. And, and so for a lot of people, there, there's like this awakening to donor advised funds, and so, you know, fast forward to 2019, I um, have just left my my big corporate job, and I um, took some time to learn how to code because I've always wanted to know how to code, and so I kind of did like a Robbie boot camp for learning how to code. Um, great couple of classes on Udemy and on, you know, other learning platforms, uh, you know, YouTube included, um, but did a bunch of research, a bunch of like syllabi cross-referencing, learned how to, learned how to find good classes and found good classes and then took good classes. And, um, at the end of that was kind of torn between what I should do next. And, um, I had just left this, this, this job where, and so I no longer had a, a, a sort of stream of, of stock um, rewards coming my way. And, um, and most of what I held assets-wise was in crypto. And, um, and, and I, was, I was doing all right in crypto too. And it was like, okay, well, I, I want to just do the same thing that I was doing with my Apple stock. I want to do that with crypto now. And and I went looking to go see what was out there for sort of giving options in crypto and didn't see donor advised fund provider that was that was like built in a way that understood the value of this technology right there was no donor advised fund provider no community foundation that was you know using smart contracts accepting a wide range of tokens leveraging defi you, you know using stable coins to process grant delivery there was nobody doing the work of a community foundation from a crypto native frame of reference and that's when the idea for endowment kind of popped into my head. And, um, you know, I started working on a proof of concept and in late 2019, early 2020, we did a proof of concept where we, you know, built the smart contracts, deployed them on mainnet, um, licensed them to a community federation in San Francisco and it, where I had already had a DAF and then used endowment software to issue a donation to my existing DAF using that software. Nice. And that turned into a 1023, which is the application for tax exempt status. And um, we used that proof of concept as sort of like the evidence to the government that we were a tax exempt organization, you know, that our activities were going to be in line with the regulation. And received the tax exemption from the IRS in mid 2020 and launched to the public with just basic donor advised fund functionality, no investment capabilities, nothing special, just give us your asset, we'll liquidate it, give you a receipt, put it into a smart contract on chain as a stable coin. And then you interact with that smart contract to route the dollars, the stables in that smart contract to... A nonprofit of your recommendation, and um, you know, in 2020 we were we were live for like three months, fourth quarter of the year, raised something like 275 thousand uh, dollars in charitable donations, which was cool. It was kind of like, okay, this works, right? Like we can, if we can do this at six figures, in theory, we could do this at seven or at eight, right? And and that led into 2021. Um, where we started to see our first protocols and NFT artists and DAOs getting involved, where they were creating donor advised funds basically for themselves or community field of interest funds for their community to make decisions together about how to do philanthropic giving. Mm -hmm. And that's when we really, you know, crossed into the seven figure territory. We got our first seven figure gift in the spring of 2021. And, and then going into the sort of back half of 2021 we had um we had a couple of really major partnerships and really major moments that put us on this pathway to where we are today which is um you know most importantly we were fiscal sponsor to the constitution Dow, um and facilitated the, you know, KYC effort at Sotheby's and were the auctioning party on the Constitution and, you know, like helped translate that DAO's activities into real world compliance.
0: For, and, for, and, sorry to interrupt. For those yeah. that aren't familiar with Constitution DAO, could you give us
1: the three Oh, sure. Yeah, summary? sure. Um, one of uh, two remaining privately held copies of the Constitution was up for auction at Sotheby's last fall. And um, a DAO came together called Constitution DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization. It's basically a group of people using a crowdfunding platform to amass capital together in crypto. They amassed uh, almost fifty million dollars in assets over the course of about six days, and um, in order to participate in the auction at Sotheby's, um, and we came in around day three. Uh, because they realized very quickly that they needed a legal entity architecture that reflected the nonprofit mission of the Dow, which was to show the document in museums publicly for, you know, the masses to get exposure to like civic engagement and American history. And, um, and so we fiscally sponsored the Dow was the first fiscal sponsorship of a Dow in the U S that we were aware of. And, um, basically facilitated the know your customer and anti-money laundering requirements of Sotheby's in order to participate in the auction um, on behalf of the Constitution Dow, And then we were able to be the bidding entity at the auction. The document went for $41.3 million to billionaire Ken Griffin. uh, And we were very, very close to winning that document, um, but we're frankly outgunned, and uh, and it was just a huge captivation of the energy of the crypto community to see how many, you know, tens of thousands of people contributing to this DAO. And the way that this group of core contributors came together to secure the the fundraising and to make sure that you know they were able to participate at the auction and and to be a part of that group was just like my wife likes to call it getting you know um, called up by the crypto CIA. It's like you kind of drop <laughs> <laughs> you kind of drop everything and just start working on yeah. this DAO until until you know <laughs> y- you reach your goal, right? Like it's like your country has called on you, and um, and. It was the craziest week of our lives, uh, and I, I, I hope we see more things like it. Um, and you know, we've definitely done a, a few things kind of similar to it, um, but that really kicked off endowment. Um, starting to gain some of that mind share in the broader crypto community. And we ended last year with, you know, a a really massive amount of growth in how much money we were able to fundraise, um, how many people we were able to bring onto the platform, uh, both organizations and individual donors, as well as community-based donors, um, and and wound up 2021 having raised $28 million in charitable donations. Congratulations, Uh, that's awesome. We uh, we continue to experiment to this day with you know teams across the world on how to incorporate charitable giving into the work of protocols, NFT platforms, uh, even you know centralized providers um, uh, and portfolio managers and tax preparation softwares and you know really what we're trying to do is to carry the flag of a community foundation for the broader crypto community. And historically, this has been a great way to build a philanthropic donor base in a, in a newly capitalized industry. Um, you know, we look at uh, the, the best corollary here is probably the Silicon Valley Community Foundation, which is, you know, a multi-billion dollar organization that was born out of the Silicon Valley entrepreneurship community in the seventies, eighties, nineties to grow into becoming, you know, one of the nation's five largest nonprofits because they understood the core values and expectations of the entrepreneurship community that was building, you know, web 1.0 and web 2.0 companies and generating wealth in, in that broader community. And then they say, okay, you know, this community has certain values when it comes to how it likes to give, whether that's about the infrastructure that they use to make the giving, whether that's about the technology that they expect to be incorporated or the nonprofits that they wanna support. And so so we're applying that same model here with endowment.org, where we're saying, okay, here is this new cohort of donors who have, just a completely unique expectations when it comes to see out the financial institution and 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 so to be on that bleeding edge of decentralizing our governance of using smart contracts to facilitate our grant making of using decentralized software services financial services to facilitate the liquidation of gifts, the delivery of assets to nonprofits, to bring nonprofits into the crypto environment with a sort of good taste in their mouth, a a nice first experience that doesn't require, you know, thousands of dollars in upfront costs or new board policies or new investment policies, where, where it just looks like they're interacting with another community foundation, but getting the exposure of crypto has been hugely successful for us. And I think when, when, when you know, we, to come back to like, what are we doing and why are we doing it? You know, what we're doing is we're building a crypto native community foundation in order to showcase the democratizing power that this technology has to sort of create a new model for philanthropic financial services in the United States and abroad. And really to, to bring you know, robust tax mitigation primitives that exist in the traditional finance space into the decentralized finance space in a way that doesn't compromise on compliance, but also doesn't compromise on the utilization of the new technology. Because that's the mix that you have to have in order to bring these primitives to market and still get the crypto community excited about the fact that you have, you know, some amount of trust incorporated into your system. You have to try and kind of like pull the two apart all the time.
0: Did, um, did you did you identify that early? I mean, I wanted to dig deeper as to why you spent the extra time and effort that I'm sure it took to build the infrastructure legally sound. Um but was that kind of like an early insight for you when you're when you started endowment?
1: You know, I um when Because I I think it's a product of having worked in the tech industry for as many years as I I had prior. Uh, I'm a huge fan. Shout out to Ben Thompson and Stratechery and like uh, all of their work around like um, uh, aggregation theory and around just like critical analysis of the tech and internet epochs that have come about circa you know like internet 1.0 in the 90s internet 2.0 in the oddies and you know like internet 3.0 in the tens and the teens Um, what was abundantly clear from my you know sort of self-education there and from my own experience at apple and just being in the tech space writ large is that the companies that succeed are the companies that build for the new epoch rather than trying to translate the old epoch into the new epoch, right? So rather than taking a software as a service model, right? You kind of have to take a distributed token at like labs and associated protocol administrators model that I don't think has been like properly, you know, it's kind of like balance sheet as a service or like financial primitive as a service kind of thing. Um, But like, I had spent a lot of time, both as an investor and as a builder, thinking about what does Web3 native entrepreneurship look like? And in the, like, pretty robust regulatory regime that is the United States? And how do we strike a balance between I am an investor, I have the reality of needing to pay my taxes, and therefore I have the reality of needing a compliance-minded financial institution to help me offset my taxes. But also, I want them to get why decentralization matters. And I want them to get what's new and exciting and interesting about this new technology that can have impacts on the health and effect effectiveness of a community foundation and of the broader philanthropic industry at large. And I, I think like, I was in a very privileged place to be able to just say, I don't really care about the bottom line for a couple of years, right? Like I care about setting the values, the brand tone, the the, the engineering infrastructure, to build on a seven-year trajectory for the coming Web3 epoch, and and so that giving myself that permission and being in the that place of privilege where that was you know sort of financially possible, um, I think led to different outcomes for Endowment and its strategy versus some of the other players in the space and the work that they're doing to try and translate traditional finance traditional financial philanthropic primitives which is a mouthful um, but you know like charitable giving in the in in, yeah. in the old world into charitable giving in this world and um, yeah what a blessing it was to be able to move from those first values because I, I from those first principles because I think like we're so uniquely positioned. To do something different than what others are doing here in this space, and to do something that falls more in line with the like more experimental components of DAO formation, of you know distributed governance, of um, token-based incentivization, of smart contract-based engineering. And and that's been like a huge unlock for us, both on like the recruiting front and on the fundraising front and on the like user acquisition front. Like it. it, It's a slower burn, but I have a lot more confidence in where we're headed as a result, because I know we're not because I know we're we're skating to where the puck is going, you know, rather than trying to fit a square peg in a round hole.
0: Yeah. It sounds like you are able, I mean, and this, this is a re- reverberating problem throughout web three is the hype, right? And you were able to kind of escape the hype, the short termism, the speculative speculative side of the industry where everybody was looking to make a buck. Cause fortunately you were not having to make a buck.
1: You were just trying to build a good company that lasts. Um, yeah. I often talk about endowment as succeeding if we're here in 50 years. I love right, that. like, like that's really, that's really the metric to me, and, and that's hard because like endowment is two entities. Endowment is a nonprofit community foundation, um, endowment.org, and then there's also a labs entity. Much like many of these protocols have a labs entity, whether that's Ave Companies, Uniswap Labs, you know, like insert labs entity name here, where they're building a protocol over here in the company right and that needs to be venture investable mm-hmm. but then they have the protocol over here that needs to be you know long lasting healthy and you know here for the long term immutable right and and i think that You know, a lot of people for this side of the equation, for the for the foundation, you know, like protocol administration and maintenance side of the equation, you know, they have the luxury of being able to go to the Bahamas or to the Swiss, you know, and just like dissolving that entity or turning that into a DAO and like having completely different regulatory architecture on the foundation side and we an endowment like our administrator entity is critical to the success and the sort of um, value proposition of the protocol and so they work more they work more adjacent to each other right they 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 are in this sort of symbiosis together um, albeit as separate entities with separate goals and separate, you know end states that they hope for, and um, I think that in thinking about wanting to be around for fifty years, like that's how I think about .org, um, and with it, it, it's a lot of context switching with .org and thinking about .tech, which is the which is the lab entity, and thinking about okay, you know what is the prognosis or sort of the way that we incur continued. Engineering growth and continued exposure to more and more primitives in a compliance-focused protocol, right? Versus the goal for .org of like we want to be here for a long time, you know, not a short time. We're not trying to burn hot and fast. And so, like, there's sort of competing, competing um, modalities at each of the entities, and, and that's been a really interesting challenge as well. Yeah, that has to
0: be very interesting. Was that uh, a model that you picked up from the beginning or was that kind of something you learned as you were iterating through when you were creating endowment?
1: We actually got really good legal advice on this Mm. front. We got lucky, our nonprofit lawyer. Well, Mm. uh, both our incubator um, and our nonprofit lawyer were adamant that there is two separate things happening here. There's engineering work going into a protocol that is basically a generalized compliance focused on-chain custodian, right? And that's what endowment.tech builds. And that has value in and of itself, even if it's only being used by an administrator entity that's a nonprofit 501c3 that's focused on impact and throughput and facilitating the charitable giving of digital assets. Right, and so from the very beginning, we incorporated two different entities. One that is the administrator, that's Endowment.org. They use the protocol to offer uh, a a service that is tax exempt, right? And then we have .tech that is the software development entity, right? That builds this generalized, you know, compliance focused protocol and subsequent interfaces for interacting with that protocol. And that that has other applications beyond just nonprofit community foundations. And so like that's sort of where we are excited to take the tech entity while we continue to sort of build this foundation with the community foundation.
0: Yeah. It's a great, it's a great model. I'm like fascinated by this. I think it's uh, there's just certain, I think one of the the big counter arguments you hear to, to DAOs and decentralization is like, you know, it's really hard to get anything done when you're decentralized. <laughs> right. Um, and I think one, one solution to that is, I think Jesse Walden uh, proposed a couple of years ago was progressive decentralization, mm-hmm. right. Starting off like a startup, you know, very centralized, finding product market fit and then progressively decentralizing. But this sounds like kind of like even a new hybrid of that. And and I wonder, does that model work then for other types of DAOs as opposed to just charitable foundations? But that would be something interesting
1: to look at. Well, like, first off, shout out to Jesse. One of my original... Um, Muses, I don't know inspirations to get into crypto in the first place. Um, Jesse, way back in the day, started a company called Media Chain. This is before his investing days and um, before his, you know, like time at Variant and A16Z. But like um, Jesse started this company called Media Chain that did canonicals for songs. Um, and audio, I believe, primarily audio, and then CCC, which was Creative Commons Coin, which was meant to be like oh canonicals for Creative Commons licensed media, um, kind of like early NFT development, and. Uh-oh. And that was like maybe 2016, 2017, um, before that bull run. And Jeez. like I I saw media chain come out and I was like, this is it. Like this is what's up, like this is so cool. And um, and so I just in general am like a big fan of 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 his and you know, Dennis Nazarov and like the, that whole team that have gone off to build mirror and have gone off to build variant and you know the A16C crypto school, you know, like the Endowment is is an application of the values that I learned from them, right? Early on in my time investing in crypto. And, And I think, you know, DAOs, when it comes to progressive decentralization, are the most successful DAOs to date are progressively decentralized from a core team. And because you you have to have a core group of people who can get the foundation set for a process to emerge. And like, really when you think about like what a company is, like I'm a big fan of sending people uh, the nature of the firm and like the associated sort of like takedowns of the nature of the firm in a Web3 uh native environment. So for anybody out there listening, the nature of the firm is like this 1930s economic paper that runs through why we build companies effectively and why it's worthwhile. And um, and then there are a variety of different hot takes from the broader crypto community um, that you can find in like the A16Z Crypto Canon or, you know, in the Defiance, like DeFi 101 guide, I think as well. But like, there are all these different sort of like, okay, what is the nature of the firm in a decentralized autonomous organization? and how does how do resources collaborate in an environment where there's sort of like trustless value transfer and what and what is the value of coming together and working together and and really, what what happens is at first, you have chaos and you need like a core group of people to come together and and you know manage that mischief. and like, And once that mischief is turned into processes, whether that mischief can be turned into processes from day zero or at day 100 or at day 1000, right? As soon as you can manage it into a a set of, you know, codified rules right now, you have an opportunity to decentralize. And I think like, you know, we've been called endowment from day one, but we are just now getting to the point where we're going to hand over the election of our board of directors to a token body that's reflected as, a you know, like, as the actual DAO, right? Like, like there's been this sort of nagging pain in my heart that, like, we call ourselves endowment and that we're yet to sort of, like, recognize or realize that full vision. And I think, you know, DAOs in the space get a lot of flack for not being really DAOs yet. But I I, I generally think that, like, the market will give you time as long as you continue to be transparent about where you're headed, what your plans are for progressive decentralization and articulate why you don't have a choice right now but to be a little bit centralized, right? Like we have a tax compliance architecture that's critical to the value proposition of endowment.org, right? We cannot be anything but tax exempt. Otherwise, what's the point of interacting with endowments contracts, right? Like other than just being just out of the good of your heart. But even then the nonprofits who want to accept cash from us, they want to know that we're compliant and they want to know that there's a real world entity there that like is actually a tax exempt nonprofit because it affects their compliance side too. And so like we don't have a choice but to prioritize centralized compliance in the U.S. market first. But now what we're getting to do, now that that foundation is laid, is we're able to say like, okay, what can we transition progressively to a decentralized token voting body? And how can we give away that token in a way that reflects people's contribution to the underlying advancement of the mission of endowment.org? And how can we do that in a way where we don't risk the entity status that we have at endowment.org. And that takes many thousands of dollars, many hours of legal work, a lot of entity transitioning and, and, and that's what we're in the thick of right now and really looking forward to having out in the world, you know uh, right around Q4 this year. So you know lots of interesting development going on there. We are on our journey to progressive decentralization and you know, very proud to have the folks at variant in our ear. Um, and, and and sort of like being able to to call on them and, and ask for their advice, um, you know, occasionally and, and just really love that team and think like the work that they're doing around like putting words to this stuff is great. And, you know, we see that across the investment space writ large, right? Like we've seen Paradigm put out, you know, an extensive white paper around doubt like uh, DAO entity architecture, and we're very proudly cited in that. Um, you know, we've seen A16Z put out a playbook for an unincorporated nonprofit association for DAOs to be able to do tokenized governance. You know, we've been working with legislators and that team, as well as the team at like at Paradigm, to help like share what our experience has been in trying to decentralize a community foundation of public charity into a dao powered environment and what sort of entity architecture it takes and what bylaws, what amount of centralization is required in order to meet the US regulatory requirements of like real person fiduciaries in order to not sacrifice that tax status. It's like, this is all brand new stuff that basically nobody's done before and the There are a lot of DAO purists that are like, well, if you're not doing it from, you know, 100% DAO powered from day one, you know, are you really doing it? And, and I think like technology always exists in its context. And our context is the U.S. regulatory regime right now. And really, the global regulatory regime right now, um, especially as we talk about like Tornado Cash and you know like the OFAC list and 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 what everybody's trying to figure out with the action that the Justice Department put out last week, um, is that we this technology exists in a context, and it's it's great to have the goal of getting to progressive decentralization, and that's arguably going to be table stakes for most people to interact with your protocol right? That they're going to want to see that you're trying at minimum. And, and so what we're saying is like, we have a core financial primitive that we have to get right first. And, you know, this is something that I was very much inspired by the folks at compound, like compound went this route as well. They said, okay, first things first, let's get the primitive, right? Let's get a borrow lend desk stood up. And then they said, okay, how do we hand this over to the pro- to, to the protocols community through the comp token, right? And there's a lot of that playbook that's been recreated around the crypto community. And like, we are no exemption to that. And, and I think like, I, I, I find that the reason why we hear from Jesse or from, you know, the the compound team or the ave team or the uni team or you know even the sushi team and it, like all of these defi protocols and beyond is that like you got to start from somewhere but you've also got to make it a really high priority to migrate towards decentralization as early as possible
0: nice that's i mean it's it's true i mean look I, I think it's a bit idealistic to think that you can start as a, a decentralized autonomous organization from day one and get anything accomplished right it's it's always been the the kind of the quarrel with the whole thing and then when it is forced then people pick you apart for not being d uh, d a or o right like there's always something something that they're kind of nitpicking at so it's it's reinvigorating to see that uh, that you guys are doing it the right way and you've got good advisors on there I mean, that is a, that, that original progressive decentralization paper, I feel like it's like one of those things that I, I read probably every few weeks, just to, just to remind myself about it. It's cool how Jesse really, um, how he had the foresight to go in and create something like media chain back in 2016, you know, I mean, it's, or no, you said 20, you said 2016, right?
1: Yeah, it was something like that. I, yeah. I don't remember the exact timeline, but it was it was something. It was. Something and I
0: wonder like if we're going to see a return of the CCC with all this new CC zero, right? Uh, right. Big, right. big uh, changes there. Okay, so you know, I'm glad that you know you guys have really done like a really put a focus in on uh, on progressive decentralization. You're taking the long term route in an industry where I think one of the most common conversations I have with my guests is like. A month is like a year in this space, mm-hmm. right? Because everything is moving so fast, and a lot of that is propelled by the level of you know speculators and people just feeling like that, and then the developments that are going on in the industry, and so many things are changing all the time. And it's honestly the barrier to entry is is pretty low from an NFT perspective. Uh, from a from a, a fungible token perspective, being able to launch an ERC twenty is pretty easy. Uh, I think Dogecoin's founder was the was quoted the most on saying it only he only spent a few hours maybe creating Dogecoin. So, I mean, there's there's just there is the easy trap to fall into, which is like I'm going to do this really quick. I'm going to make quick decisions, and I'm going to jump in on this hype train, and it's going to be great. But you came at it from one. Like a long-term perspective, realizing that you needed the regulatory framework and the right infrastructure in place. You looked at it from a first principles perspective, which is key because you can't really change an industry without looking at the way that it functions at its core. But then when you were looking at it long-term, it's almost like you realized what the second order consequences of it were going to be. Right. Like for people to participate in a decentralized community fund and be able to give uh, not just assets that appreciate. Right. Like I think I can see how Silicon Valley was the originator or like one of the largest versions of the SDAF because they had all this equity that they were earning. And this equity, look, it, it could easily go to zero just like crypto, but it could also exponentially grow in value which triggers all kinds of taxes that you have to pay um so i mean you're kind of catering i mean
1: even when it goes down right yeah. like we yeah. have people volatility is people trading yeah right yeah. and hopefully you do a good job of trading and you make money right and 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 for a lot of people like it it's almost sure like a bull market like makes more people that have made money right but it's not we we haven't yet and we we probably don't have the sample size yet but like we haven't yet seen that huge downturn in giving either when the market comes down and you know i think like it's just so Interesting to see how multivariable the equation is for whether somebody gives or not, and and so it's not just about whether you had huge gains. Uh, that's a part of it, but there's a whole constellation of components that come together to make the decision that somebody's going to give, and it's 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 validate you know, I really appreciate the the like the kind words about the way we've gone about it at endowment. but to me, it's like each one of those things is table stakes to closing the donation, right That if you that if you take away any one of those items, that it's it's less likely that a donor uses endowment. and and to build a, a company, that makes it amongst the millions of companies and the millions of tokens and the millions of startups that are gonna happen in the, in the same time period that endowment will hopefully exist, you, you have to put together that whole constellation. And you have to keep constantly asking yourself, you know, what are you missing? what is what are you not thinking about that's leading to somebody to choose not to make the gift you know what's the feature that's missing here what's the education piece that's not up to snuff what's the entity architectural or you know like sufficient decentralization component that is that we haven't solved for yet And it's like only if we get all those things, right. Do we get to be the 0.01% of businesses that last 50 years out of a, out of an entrepreneurial boom like this. And so like, you have to have that standard both so that you earn the customer, but also so that you have the staying power. And, And that's, that's like the thing that keeps me up at night probably the most is just like you know thinking about that thinking about you know how you how how little room for error there is and at the same time how you have to be you know just like ready to accept failure at every corner <laughs> <laughs> the life
0: of, of any startup, uh, yeah, founder yeah, totally, is totally. just
1: constant anxiety.
0: all the time. <laughs> Um, well, it's, you said something there, it's interesting. And this was something I wanted to dig into. I know we're, we're coming up close to time. Um, you, you keep in mind, I think what is most central maybe is the donor, right? Whoever that donor may be mm-hmm. a, a single person or an entity, um, yeah, uh, how do, I guess, how, how are you typically onboarding donors or, 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 re, or, engaging with donors? And then what other parties are you having to keep in mind in order for your business to flourish? Are there other participants that help in the, uh, equivalent of your supply chain of, uh, for endowment?
1: Yeah. Donors are, are, are customers for, you know, like, at least in the like business sense of the term, like who do we serve? We serve the donor. Um, organizations are our users, really. They're the ones getting the platform for free. Um, and you know they are also a user group that we have to serve, but there's not a whole lot to do with organizations if there's no donors, right? So, you know, part of us setting the donor as our core focus is, you know, kind of just like a really simple, follow the money kind of philosophy. Uh, And the last cohort that we sort of see as like a core audience is financial professionals. So uh, financial advisors, CPAs, uh, private wealth managers, family offices, uh, the people who are hired by donors to help them think about what to do with their capital. And that includes tax preparation software companies, You know that includes uh, all sorts of different service providers across the landscape. And we see them as very important to the donor funnel as well, albeit like a adjacent or sort of like indirect funnel for us to, to to be working through. But the reality is that most people have some either piece of software or individual service provider who helps them think about their tax obligation. And, and we need not only the donor to know about the fact that philanthropic, you know, giving is one way to offset their or mitigate their tax obligation. But also we need the professional to know that there are options for self-directed crypto investors to be able to go off and and not have to transplant their crypto holdings back into the traditional finance space in order to get this tax benefit. And, And and so those are our three core audiences. We spend a lot of time with nonprofits because nonprofits have direct relationships with donors. Um, but also because like we want to see nonprofits like, like a byproduct of, of endowment success is the broader nonprofit industry having a leapfrog moment where they move from paper checks to blockchain interactions. And like, that's a really exciting, like side effect of endowment success is that we offer nonprofits, this like very approachable leapfrog opportunity. And, and so we spend a lot of time with them talking about that, helping to educate their donors, helping make sure donors know that they accept crypto, um, help them understand how that works, what the sort of like flow of funds is and, and how we get money to them. Um, the other thing that we spend a lot of time on is donor education, you know, uh, partnerships outreach to try and find NFT platforms or DeFi protocols or DAO treasuries that are trying to fold an impact in some way to what they're doing, and uh, engage with them on that planning, so that they can, whether it's with us or not, you know have some amount of social responsibility programming incorporated into the work that they're doing and into the wealth that they're creating. That's awesome. That's, that's
0: a great way to frame it. I know we've got a few minutes left and I have two questions to ask you. Are you ready for some like quick fire questions? I yeah, guess. Yeah. All right,
1: how do you define web three? Web3 is um, I like to call it magic internet money or Bitcoin and all of its friends. It's uh, the internet of value. It's um, it's web three is really the taking of the world's things of value, whether they are digital or physical and indexing them on uh, public ledgers. Love that. Um, All right. And then, Uh,
0: what does the next six to 12 months look like for endowment? And what does the next five to 10 years look like since we're on a 50 year spectrum here? I'm really interested in this. Mm.
1: (laughs) The next six to 12 months for endowment looks like a new contract suite. Um, We are very excited to be rolling out new contracts this fall um, as well as uh, handing over the election of our board of directors to uh, a, a token body. Uh, which we are just mere days away from sharing more information on uh, and really looking forward to showcasing how uh, token-powered communities can oversee the uh, hierarchical leadership of a nonprofit entity. And so that's what the next six months will look like, probably. Um, and, and really the next 12 months is about thinking about, okay, you know, we've got donor advised funds, we've got community field of interest funds. What about charitable remainder trusts? What about college savings funds? What about individual retirement accounts? What about political fundraising? What about, um, All sorts of other kinds of compliance focused, tax advantaged financial primitives that are mission driven and you know aligned with broader planned giving or defined contribution or sort of like social impact.
0: Nice. It's beautiful. So a great place to end. I appreciate your time today, Robbie. This was super enlightening for me, and I'm sure the audience will will think the same thing. And I can't wait to see what happens uh, with endowment over the next 50 years.
1: Uh, yeah, fingers crossed. And uh, <laughs> thanks so much for having me on. Um, it's always it's always good to to get up to the 30,000 foot view and uh, just talk about what we're cooking on. Um, I really appreciate the time. <laughs>
0: Thanks for joining web three with me. Make sure to follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple podcasts. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review as it'll help us reach more people. If you want to connect with me personally, you can find me on Twitter at off underscore. Thanks for vibing in the verse with me and hope you'll join us next
1: time.